Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. It's so good to have all of you here. If I don't know you, my name is Ashley Matthews. I'm the associate lead pastor here at Trinity, and our lead pastor, Chris, is on sabbatical for a few weeks. So we're, um, I'm glad to get to be with you, to be in the Bible with you today. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 6. This is our um, last week. We're going to finish out the chapter uh, this week. We've been parked here for a minute. Those of you who've been worshiping with us know. So we'll wrap that up um, today. And I also, though, want to set up something that's going to start in a few weeks that I feel uh, really excited about, which is that we're going to do a series through the book of Galatians uh, starting in two weeks, the first Sunday in September. Um, I, y'all don't feel nearly as excited as I, as I feel right here in my heart about this, and I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I understand. Like, Galatians, study, woo! And there are like five of us in the room who can feel what I feel when I think about that. But I am um, very excited about uh, this particular study because I think this is a really brilliant letter. And I think it's a particularly timely uh, letter with a word for the moment that we're in. And so we're going to take six weeks and work through it. We're going to do a class. Those of you who have been at Trinity for a while know that we do these classes occasionally, and we go through a book, as we've done uh, in the past through the pandemic. And we're going to do that, uh, sort of, but we'll do it here on Sunday mornings and make it more of a study-like experience as we move through. It doesn't mean it's not a sermon. It will be a sermon. Um, But we'll just do a little bit more of the nerdy bits that we don't normally get to do uh, here on Sunday mornings for a few weeks. And we're going to also provide... Videos For those of you who are in neighborhood groups, you'll get to watch the video and go through this study with your group. There'll be discussion questions and study materials available to you. Those of you who are not in a neighborhood group, the reason we're telling you now is so that you can be thinking about how you're going to move through this study uh, as well. Do it on your own, or our preference would be find some people that can go through it with you. Grab a few of your friends, and then you'll register for the videos and the study materials. Uh, not today. That, those registrations will come up next week but they'll be available to you to go through with your friends. So we'll focus our collective attention on this really beautiful letter for a few weeks uh, starting the first Sunday in September. Just wanted you to know it's coming. All right, John chapter 6. If you have Bibles, we're going to read in verse 60. We'll read and then we'll pray. When many of his disciples, Jesus' disciples, heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? And what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you, that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, To whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, we are, Lord, this morning thankful for the words of Jesus. We are thankful, God, this morning for the space that we have, holy and sacred space. The same way, Lord, that the swallow found her way to your altar 
and found herself both at home and at peace in your presence in a place that was holy. I pray, God, that we would find ourselves exactly the same way this morning. That we would be at home, Lord, here with you, with your word. And therefore, God, that our hearts would be open in the ways that they need to be. Our ears would be attentive, God, in the way they need to be. Jesus, we look to you. We long to hear from you. You speak, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Those of you who've been here the last few weeks know that this chapter in in John's gospel, chapter 6, John is talking a lot about bread and about eating and about drinking. Uh, That's been made very clear. But I would submit to you that as much as John is talking about things like bread and eating and drinking, he's also talking about this other thing. There's this other theme that's less direct and obvious, but is um, no less evident and certainly no less powerful or important. And that's this uh, idea about hearing the words of Jesus or Jesus as, as word and our ability to hear him speak. Um, This theme is important not just in chapter 6, but actually is a major theme throughout John's whole gospel. The idea of hearing being um, the way to faith and Jesus being, as a result, the word of God. That idea just, like, was a big deal to John. It's the reason that he starts his gospel is the one that starts um, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. I love to think about um, that verse, and I love to think about John writing his gospel, maybe because John, you'll remember, is the one who refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, which I've always thought was incredible, (laughs) Um, and no doubt had to be true, right? Like, to be able to say it, what a cool thing. Um, And he felt it, and he wanted, like, that was an identity marker for him. He felt himself, like, uniquely and particularly loved by Jesus. And they were close. I mean, uh, that wasn't just John. Jesus entrusts Mary to whom? Do you remember from the cross? To John. Um, To stand in his stead as Mary's son. What a beautiful gesture, right? Giving us insight into the nature of the relationship between these two people. They were friends. And they loved each other deeply. And Jesus also happened to be God. Which was an idea that John no doubt had to like come to terms with over time. You know, it'd be like, you know, your brother or best friend. All of a sudden, can you even imagine? you know, what that would be like. And I like to think of it, you know, I don't know how it happened, but at some point, John was sitting with his Bible, and he was reading Genesis, the same Genesis that you have access to. His Bible, of course, would have been the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And at some point, he was reading Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he gets to the bit where the Bible says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And John, like, a light bulb went off. And what he realized in that moment was that that's Jesus. Jesus was the force that pierced the chaos and the darkness in creation. Jesus was the thing that made life possible. God spoke, and Jesus is the word of God. Life came about as a result. And the reason that I think that's so powerful and that that image resonated with John so deeply is because John had experienced that firsthand in just being with Jesus. John had seen over and over, knew what it was like to go with Jesus somewhere and watch Jesus speak and life happen as a result. People's lives be changed. Something that was chaotic and dark before Jesus got there, all of a sudden when Jesus opens his mouth, it's, everything's different. It's all changed. John experienced that, and then he, he had this moment of being like, oh, 
Jesus is the word of God. When he speaks, like, things happen. It changes things. And I think it just, it stood with him, stuck with him. Uh, He tells in his gospel more than any other about Jesus saying things. He, he loved the words of Jesus. I think he recounted them on purpose because he didn't want to lose them or forget them. Have you ever lost somebody that you really love and you know what it's like to try to remember everything they ever said? John's gospel has, has more words of Jesus than the others. In this, in his gospel, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. This theme of like being able to hear Jesus and recognize his voice to know him runs throughout. It's John's gospel, for example, that tells the story of resurrection morning, Easter morning, when Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. And you remember she sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. And it's not until Jesus does what? Do you remember that she recognizes him? What does he do? He speaks. He says her name. And when Mary hears Jesus say her name, she sees. She recognizes him. I think the reason that that story meant so much to John and he chose to include it in his gospel is because he wanted you and me to know that that would be true for us, could be true for us. He, of course, knew he was writing to people who were never going to see Jesus the same way he did, were never going to hear Jesus the same way he did, but he wanted you to know, me to know, that that certainly does not mean that we can't hear him. And it matters that we hear him because it's hearing him that allows us to see him, to know him and the world around us. So here's the reason that I'm taking so much time to say this. I believe that John knew that we are Mary, that we would need to hear Jesus say things to us in order to see differently, to see clearly. We are the sheep. We need to hear his voice in order to find our way. And y'all, this matters right now because I know Because I'm right alongside you living in the same world that you are in. That in the world that we live in right now, it's dark out there. I don't even have to know what you're going through. To know that the world that we live in right now is hard and dark. And it feels really hard to make our way. To know which way's up. To know what we're supposed to do. To feel like we trust anybody. Amos, the prophet, says, says this. At one point, he, he quotes the Lord, and he says, there will, it's coming a day when there will be a famine for hearing the words of the Lord. And I think about that in a moment like this. I wonder how many of us feel like we are experiencing a kind of famine for just hearing from God, hearing things that speak to our souls that are true, I think a lot of us, myself included, come into spaces like this because we hope to just hear something and experience something true and real because so much around us doesn't feel that way. So can you hear, I'm wondering this morning, can we hear an invitation, a promise rather from Jesus that we are meant to hear him? And that he has something to say to us where we are, that we are the sheep. That he is, in fact, speaking. And if we can't hear him, then we're meant to ask why. It's not because he's not speaking. And as I sit with these words, this story, this moment in the life of Jesus with his disciples, there are like three observations that stand out that I'm going to put in front of you this morning about this idea of hearing Jesus. The first one's this. Hearing Jesus requires receptivity. Hearing Jesus requires receptivity. Here's what I mean. 
When we started reading in verse 60, we pick up at the part where these disciples of Jesus, not, not the 12, but, you know, the other, the outside ring of disciples, they're walking away. They're walking away in response to something they've just heard Jesus say, which is what we talked about last week. That was the whole bit about, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. It's that. They say in response to hearing this from Jesus in verse 60, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Or quite literally, in the Greek, who can hear it? Here's what I find so interesting about that. Firstly, it is a hard teaching. That's true. Secondly, though, what they're saying, when they ask the question, like, who can accept this? Who can hear it? There's a kind of subtle accusation in the question that feels really familiar to me, if I'm honest. Really what they're saying is, you've made this too hard to hear. If this was easier to hear, we would stay and listen to you. But actually, we can't and no one can because you've made it too impossibly hard. It's defensive and accusatory. And the reason that that stands out to me is because, again, I, I feel like I can relate. I know what it feels like to hear something and my immediate response be, And if you did, I would hear you. But because you have not said it in the way that I can hear, it is not worth listening to. And none of us ever says it, you know, none of us ever says that. But am I alone? I'm the only one that's ever felt that way? Probably not. You know, you hear feedback. Or you're having an argument with somebody and they say something to you and maybe it lands, it lands just enough for you to feel rather than just admitting that it's, you know, I feel the truth in what you're saying. What we say is, you're angry. I don't like your tone. In other words, do it differently if you would like for me to respond. And it's just so human. And, and I, so I recognize it. I recognize it in myself. And therefore, I get to ask a question of myself. Is this true of me? Not just true of them. They're clearly defensive and accusatory. And as a result, they become hardened, closed off, unreceptive. They cannot hear Jesus. And so they turn and walk away. So we get to ask ourselves, is it true of you? Are you yourself defensive and accusatory just in general as a posture? Or do you in this season experience yourself to be open and receptive? Here's a way that I know for myself the degree to which I am open and receptive. At least one way. I had a friend ask me recently if in this season of my life I feel curious. And I thought that was really brilliant. Because what he was saying is when someone says something to you that frustrates you or you don't agree with, are you curious about it? Are you wanting to know what they're trying to say? Or do you really rather not know? You don't want to hear it. Because really you're not open to grow and to change. So do you feel curious right now about how the people around you experience you or see you? We live in a world that I think is daily training us to not be open and not be curious, but to already assume that we know everything. You already know it. I mean, you're willing to admit, just like I am, that like, surely there are like, nuclear physicists that know more than I do. You know, those people, sure, 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 they do. They know more, but not, but not you. That's the world we live in. 
that I can already know everything I need to know about you by just one word. Did you say you're a patriot? (gasps) I know what that means. I know just the kind of person you are. Did you say you believe in equity? (sighs) I know what that means. Thanks for letting me know which box I can put you in. That's the world we live in. We are being trained actively every single day to relate to each other that way. There's nothing curious about it. There's nothing humble about it. There's nothing open or receptive about it at all. And y'all, if we are going to treat each other that way, if we will not hear each other, we will not hear Jesus. I cannot be utterly and totally sealed off and hardened to you and what you have to say and how you experience me, but very open to God. We would like to believe that that's true. I can't hear you, but I can hear the Lord. It just doesn't work that way. It won't work that way. So here's, here's a question for yourself. Imagine yourself in front of Jesus. He's just standing there. What are you doing? If he came and stood in front of you, what would your posture be? What does your body do? And then think about how you feel. Do you feel stiff? Do you feel defensive? Do you feel relieved? How do you feel and what does your body do? And let that image instruct you, say something to you about where you are right now. And the Lord's ability in turn to say what he wants to say to you. Second observation is this. Hearing from Jesus requires surrender. When these guys and gals say to Jesus, we're out of here, it's too hard, we're done. Rather than Jesus saying, oh no, I'm sorry, you misunderstood me. Let me say it a different way, with my happy face. Um, He doesn't do that. I'm not saying he he wouldn't a different time or that he's not like that sometimes, but he, he wasn't like that this day. Instead, he sort of doubles down. Oh, really? You think that's something? What what if you imagined me as God? You know? He really goes for it. Again, pushing, provoking. And then he goes on to say further, no one can come to me unless they're drawn by the Father. Which I think is a fascinating thing to say. In other words, God has to grant it to you to even hear what I'm saying. And unless God grants you the ability to hear what I'm saying, you can't hear me anyway. So it's fine. This is interesting. Uh, this is one instance among countless others that raises, has, raises and has raised for centuries questions about the relationship between human will and God's will, right? So which is it? Is it their fault for not being able to hear? Or is it God's fault for not granting them whatever it is God should grant them so that they can hear? Which is it? And this has raised all kinds of debate and questions for Christians for a long time. Free will, predestination, God's will, our will. I'm probably not going to solve it for you in the next nine minutes, but I will say this. The Bible won't solve it for you either. Because the beautiful mystery of the Bible and of life, actually, is that it is an unfolding drama of wills. 
I know that's true in my own life, and so do you. According to the Bible, God is absolutely and utterly sovereign. You are finite and limited, and he is not. God is not a puppet master, and you are not a puppet. And what we also know, even more importantly from the Bible, is that God's will is, over and over again, made painfully clear with what he wants for all people, which is that all people might come to a saving knowledge of him. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God desires all people in all places to know him and come to a saving knowledge of the truth. So it's not a matter of God's will for all people. desires in that moment, standing there in Capernaum with those people, God desired that they would all hear Jesus. That's not a question. So then there must be some other question. But why, what thing, what determining factor allows God, enables God to grant whatever he has to grant so that they can hear? And I wonder if it doesn't have something to do with surrender. I know in my own life this has been true. As I have been at God at different times in my life, I also know that God does, in fact, want to be a part of my life, speak to me, and give me things. But there have also been times when I was just not ready or able to receive it. And a lot of it has to do with where I'm at. There's like some resistance, some lack of surrender that has marked my life in those seasons, and I think marks their life. It's just like the rich young ruler. Do you remember? He really thought he was all in. I'm ready, Jesus. You just, you just say it. I'm with you. And then Jesus said, oh, okay, well, it's that thing. And he went, yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> just not that thing, though. I think there's something happening similarly here. Chris tells a story uh, that uh, and no doubt other people have told as well. But it really helps me in a moment like this to understand, at least in part, what's going on, I think. Uh, it's a story about Lord Nelson, who is a famous British admiral of the British Navy. And uh, during the Napoleonic Wars, there was this one particular battle with the French in which the Brits defeat the French. And the French admiral is um, getting off of his boat. He pulls it up alongside Nelson's boat, and he's got to get off his boat and walk the deck uh, to meet Lord Nelson at the other end in order to surrender. And so the story goes, as the French admiral walks the deck, he is uh, walking with a smirk on his face and his sword swinging at his side. Like, I'll, I'll surrender, but on my own terms. Some of us have arguments that way. I'll concede that I'm wrong, but on my own terms. This is very much the French admiral. It's his posture, and he walks up to Nelson, and he extends his hand. And Nelson looks at him, so the story goes, and he says, without offering his hand, first your sword, and then your hand. Because, of course, one cannot and ought not to attempt to surrender with sword still and hand. It just doesn't work that way. Surrender necessitates that we hand over the sword. And the reality is that for so many of us, that's just really, really hard to do. It's our defense, our salvation. We think it's the thing, right, that's our defense and our salvation. And the only way that Jesus can debunk the lie that actually your defense, your salvation has never been in the thing you think is your sword 
is for him to require it of you so that you can come to know him as your defense and him as your salvation. And the truth is, a lot of us live our lives like this, sword in one hand and hands lifted up in prayer with the other, you know? With this hand I pray, but just in case you say something I don't like. (laughs) Yes, Lord. And what I'm saying to you is you You cannot hear Jesus this way. Mean to and want to right now. He's going to ask you for your sword and then offer you his hand. And that is not because he's particular. It's because he loves you and would very much like to, as we've been singing this morning, all of our idols must bow, including the ones that you use to protect yourself. Some of y'all have been fighting a war for a very long time. That Jesus has not, in fact, called you to fight. And it's very hard for you now to let go. Can you hear the Lord say to you, it is time for you to lay it down and let him give you peace? The last thing I want to say is this. Hearing Jesus, it changes everything. I thought for a long time about how to make that less cheesy or less of a cliche, and I had nothing. So I stuck with this. I just kept coming back to it. And I kept coming back to it because for me, it is just the truth. And I don't think it's just the truth. I see it over and over again in the world around me and in the Bible. There's that moment, of course, that we talked about last week where Jesus, you know, he's dealt with these who are walking away. And then he turns to the 12, to those who are closest to him, and he looks at them and he says, do you not also wish to go away? And Peter, beautiful Peter, Peter's the one to speak. And Peter looks at him and says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. We have come to believe and to know you're the Holy One of God. Now, it's really easy for us, and I talked about this last week, to hear the frustration and the pain in Peter's question, where else are we going to go? I can relate to the feeling. I know what he felt. I think I do, anyway, at least in part. We just can't also forget that he didn't leave. And the reason that he didn't leave is because as confused and frustrated as he was in that moment, he also knew that there was no other life for him away or apart from Jesus that he could not and would not live the rest of his life without being able to hear Jesus. He just, he couldn't, he wasn't willing to live without it. It had for Peter changed everything, knowing Jesus. The reason that Amos can talk about or liken not being able to hear God to a famine is because Amos himself also knew that it's, that's what it's like when you're alone in the universe. Things don't grow. The life in you has just gone out. But when the word of God comes, when you can hear from God and feel like you're a part of what God is doing, that's when things grow. That's when life happens. It's Genesis 1. God says, let there be light, and there was light. The chaos and the darkness, all of it changed forever. Life. 
Some of you may have had an experience like that with God. Some of you in this room may have never had an experience like that with God. Can you just hear him today? I believe reassuring you that you're meant to hear from him and that it will, in fact, change where you are. Amos 8, for me, is followed by Hosea 6. There's this verse in Hosea 6 that says, If we will acknowledge him, if we will acknowledge him, then he will send rain. He will come like spring rain. And there's a promise there. If we will acknowledge him, he will come like spring rain. So that's the question. What will it look like for you in order to hear from Jesus, to be receptive, to be open, to surrender, and to acknowledge him? so that we can hear. Take space. I implore you. Y'all, we, we cannot get to where we are meant to go if we do not hear from Jesus. And I'm not even talking about prophecy, although that wouldn't hurt either. I'm talking about just what Peter had. Peter saw Jesus with people who were hurting. He heard the words of Jesus with people who were hurting and he thought, that's love. That's what love sounds like. What I'm saying to you is we need that. I need to know what love sounds like to people in a world that's this full of pain and hurting. Peter heard Jesus teach and when Jesus taught, he thought, that's wisdom. There it is. That's wisdom. I know it when I hear it. This world needs more wisdom. So as the people of God, we must be in a place where we can hear him. So I implore you, take the space you need. to do business with God, to put yourself in a posture where you can hear so we don't miss what he's saying. Amen. Let's stand together if we're able.